and welcome to episode two of the Brood Sages. We are your hosts, Freeloader and Subaiku. Subaiku, how are you? Fantastic. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic as well. I've got to say that uh, uh, week one, uh, in between episode one and episode two of the Brood Sages, has been fantastic. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Play, we're on TuneIn, we're on uh, Amazon. It is. Uh, it's been a really <laughs> remarkable week for us. On top of that, we've had. Um, I would have to say probably somewhere on the order of twice to three times as many people downloading and listening to the podcast as I ever possibly dreamed could happen in the first week. So I'm very excited. Uh, I'm glad that there's a community out there that would like to hear this kind of content. Uh, but aside from that, uh, the week has been, you know, notable. There's certainly news that we'll get to in just a minute. But personally, my week has been, well, not a lot of laddering. I'm, I'm, I'm one and oh on ladder, but the the brawl has been uh, a lot of fun. The rat brawl is what just finished up. Or, um, and I was able to get to the fusion stones with one loss, uh, that one loss being against a, a, a level 20. Um, so I don't feel bad about it. But aside from that, the games went fairly smooth. It turns out Hysteria was a fantastic include, uh, especially after the uh, the buff that happened to it. And again, we'll get to that in a little bit. But suffice to say... Especially with a lot of the cheap rodents not moving. Exactly. So many of my opponent's openers were non-moving 6, 7, or uh, unfortunately every once in a while an 8 health, which my Hysteria didn't activate. Uh, But when it was a 6 or a 7, I could just drop 3 mana in response and smack them in the face with their own unit and we could effectively restart the game uh, just with them being at a lower life total than me which always felt pretty good this brawl i would say was give or take on average about uh i'm gonna say it was on the easier end of the brawls that we've uh, experienced so far uh it was not a hard march up to to the uh 10 fusion stones i felt like it was pretty inevitable i was going to get there and how about you i also had no trouble getting to the fusion stones uh, i got there this morning with zero losses actually Ooh. felt great the rodents really uh play into the push pull mechanic of ironclad which is always a lot of fun to use and can often really reward some smart play when you're able to set up your windmakers so that they uh, remove an enemy unit and hit the base or remove two enemy units uh, that really really makes the game a lot smoother and a lot more interesting i had an ozone purifier into hysteria lethal uh for my second to the last win so good Oh my gosh. Well, what made it even better was the fact that I had to use Windmakers to extend my front so that I could get my Ozone Purifiers in front of the correct minion. The problem was, in order to do that, the only lane I had, my uh, Windmakers had to go through a Project Phoenix that then died and respawned. And there was a 1 in 3 chance it was going to respawn into the exact cell that I wanted to use the Ozone Purifiers for. If that happened, the Project Phoenix was an 8 health, so that wouldn't have worked out. I My, my hysteria wouldn't activate on it gotcha. uh, so it was a one in three to lose the game it didn't spawn there thank goodness but now it spawned to one of the two sides so when i had to play hysteria it was still a 50 50 to lose the game <laughs> and i won that one it was just like you know the win of coin flips again and again and again it felt so good when it happened for sure sometimes you get rewarded for for playing well and taking that chance that's actually uh, another reason why this brawl is fun because it 
it rewards strong early play, which you can mm-hmm. then take advantage of with big chunk damage, either uh, through the Windmakers rushing in for five or Chaotic Pupil hitting ten. And it, once you get that ten chunk damage, you can usually finish off with Chip from something like Overchargers or Booming Professors if those are in your deck. Yeah, I actually found uh, Saberpaws to be the MVP of this brawl, even though they were not anywhere near strong enough to really compete against any of the other two drops that were rats. The fact that they had two movement and allowed you to like respond to your opponent's opener of, let's say, sound drivers, they drop an 8-0 on turn one. But you could respond with like Saberpaws into Ozone Purifier, for example. And you could you could make a board that both had a lot of health, but also was split across two units, which made it very difficult for them to clear the following turn. Especially when you're trying to play a rush style deck, it really makes a big difference to to set up that strong early game that maintains your front and allows you to get that damage in. I mean, not for nothing, but uh, because of the way the matchmaking works in Brawl, I'm always playing some sort of a more aggressive rush deck. I don't ever feel in Brawl like I have the luxury of letting the game go long. I've got to try to win it before my opponent can. But for the most part, I would say that each Brawl that has happened so far, aside from one or two, have lent themselves fairly well to just playing better as a Rush-style player. If you can, you can get to the 10 Fusion Stones pretty much... Uh, with, I would say, level, level and a half less cards than your opponent. Especially if you're taking advantage of whatever whatever synergy is available in the brawl. Mm. Mm-hmm. And you play, with, you play with that well. It does require you to spread out your upgrades across more, across more different cards and different decks that you would not normally play. So you can't just focus all of your upgrades into one area, but it's worth it, I think, to help uh, get a more robust library. Oh, for sure. There, there are definitely times where I will choose to upgrade a card because I'm putting it into my Brawl deck for the week. Absolutely. Uh, you don't feel too bad about it because you know it's going to make the climb a little easier through Brawl. And on top of that, it's going to make getting the rewards a little easier. So you kind of feel like it's an investment right now that within the week will pay off dividends. As you pay gold for matches, you can usually reap the benefit within uh, within the first few matches. Overall, how do you feel about Brawl? I love it for a few reasons. Uh, the first reason is just the different game mechanic. They allow a different style of play than you get on ladder. You get to play the game in a, a totally new way because cards that you wouldn't normally play have extra movement or extra strength or cost less. And that tends to make the games shorter, which is appreciated. And they make the games a little more interesting. So you're, you're my second point, you're playing with cards you don't normally play with. When you're trying to ladder in platinum and diamond, most of the time you're stuck with your one or two strongest deck and if you want to mess around with that deck that has all level three cards you don't really get the opportunity but for all that you play with those cards and play with those mechanics that you aren't normally experimenting with yeah and on top of that the third reason why i like the brawl i like the reward is actually for for at least the first few levels great value for your investment if you can win even two-thirds of your game then you're basically flying through and getting rubies for cheap you're getting extra cards for cheap you're getting fusion stones for cheap where it starts to get more expensive is after the fusion stones then you start paying 150 gold per match if you win it you get 
20 back if you watch the advertisement. So 130 per match if you're lucky. And if you need to win four games to get from the Fusion Stones to the Mythic pack, then if you win all four, if you go four and one, you come out ahead of the conversion rate in the shop for mm-hmm. rupees to gold. And you're making you're making more on your investment. If you say the Mythic pack is worth 80 rubies, 80 rubies is worth 900 gold or so i forget the exact number um if you come out four and one then you spent less gold than it would have cost in the shop to turn to to turn gold into rubies as if you're using that as your conversion rate if you go four and two now all of a sudden you're spending more gold than those rubies are actually worth if you go four and three or four four then you're losing a lot of gold it's fine if you play a ton and you want to use this as your investment but if you are a free to play player or if you're trying to really optimize your resource usage then it's not the best uh, use of your gold for sure i mean in all honesty i think you you can hit a point in your library where just hitting additional mythic packs is really the only notable event right so you either hit 80 rubies and you buy another mythic pack or you hit a mythic pack and brawl those are really the only events that change the outlook for your library because your library is so far advanced, all of your commons are leveled up, and it's really just the the rares and epics that need to get leveled up to five to improve your decks. We're certainly not there, you and I. And, and, And so I have found it easy to justify playing to the fusion stones every time you get a classic pack with it. That's wonderful. You get an additional free card on top of that. You get five rubies and then you get your 10 fusion stones. And that's been the predominant way in which I have upgraded my cards outside of buying noble books and buying cards that are uh, particularly important when they're offered in the shop each day. Buying cards in the shop is a great way to get targeted upgrades on your commons and rares. But it's terribly it, it, efficient. It's, like, it's like when you look at it. It's inefficient because you have no control over what comes up in the shop. Well, sure. But when you look at what a common costs you in terms of you buy a noble pack for 100 gold and you get, you know, on average what is it, you know, 2.8 or whatever commons. Uh, so, you know, you, you get a value for what a common costs right there. But it, the, the, the important thing to note there is it's a unspecific, a non-specific, a, a, a you know, just whatever common within the uh, library. So it could be a rapid mousers, for example. Exactly um, what I was going to say. You get a common and a random common is worth much less than the common that you actually want. Exactly. So if it costs you two 225 gold to buy out the shop on the commons that you actually want yes you are paying more than twice as much as a common cost per card from the noble book but it's absolutely worth twice as much in order to get your gifted recruits leveled up a little faster in order to get your witches leveled up a little faster here here yeah the the real trick of it is just understanding the game well enough to know which commons are actually worth uh buying out of the shop i personally probably buy out of the shop maybe two or three times a, a, a month you more than that uh, i would guess a couple of times a week on buying a card out of the shop wow really yeah there's always something decent mm-hmm. um, <laughs> i am i am a little uh less specific than you are i don't just buy commons that can be used in my current deck i also will buy things that go into a deck that i would like someday to have that's fair 
not to be fair, not necessarily common. If I see a rare that I want, I will absolutely spend on that. That's one hundred percent worth it. Oh, if fair. I see uh, if I see an epic that I want, I will spend the twenty rubies on that. You know, it's uh, getting the epic that you want out of a mythic pack. A, getting a mythic pack is pretty rare. And B, getting a copy of the epic you want out of it is even more rare. So if you are targeting a specific epic, for example, Wild Saber Boss, fantastic neutral epic that can be used in a wide variety of decks, grab it from the shop whenever you see it if you have the resource. Oh, for sure. I think the difference between what we've said is just that you're saying you buy it on a regular basis, even for cards that aren't necessarily critical right now but for decks you might want to make whereas i'm saying only spend in the shop when it's a critical card that like can justify the premium you're paying for getting that specific card right now if it's not a deck i'm playing or intend to play this month it's normally not a not a card i'm going to invest in right now all right. Well, anyway, so so uh, uh, having a, a great run through Brawl and uh, getting to drop some uh, fun, unhealthy hysteria turns uh, was my week. What was your week? My week was spent more on ladder. Early on in the month is actually my favorite time to play. Get a lot more variety in opponents later on in the month. In in uh, mid mid to high platinum, you tend to get a lot of higher level people that kind of took it off early in the month and are working their way up. But when I start earlier in the month, I get lower level players that regularly make it to diamond because they're very good, but their card levels aren't quite as high. So it feels a little more even. Mm -hmm. It feels a little more test of skill as opposed to having to overcome a card disparity. Okay. So I have been messing around with a new Shadowfen deck that's a little more control value oriented than my normal Rush one. I put my Harry Chestnuts back in because I love that card. It's great fun. I put in Hunter's Vengeance as another way to trigger the Harry Chestnuts on top of the witches and the Toxic Sacrifice that's already in there. As okay, well, interesting. As, as well as providing a little additional board clear. And I put in Harvester of Souls as a five drop, which works to create tokens in your deck. It creates a seven strength at my level, a seven strength copy of whatever it kills and typically you want to use it on something something a little cheaper you want to use it to attack green prototypes or gifted recruits where now all of a sudden you're going to have a one or two mana seven strength unit that's extremely powerful when you cycle back into that a little bit later on in the game oh, for uh, sure. i managed to use it to beat a swarm player where i got his doppel box <laughs> Thankfully, he put the doppel box in front of something that was three strength. So my three strength remnant killed the front part of the doppel box, and that left the second part wide open to be copied. Oh, goodness. No. <laughs> it worked out all right. It's interesting um, that you put Harvesters and Hunter's Vengeance. Why did you choose those particular two cards out of curiosity? An excellent segue. I chose those two cards because they were recently changed in the last patch on September 1st, the mana cost of Hunter's Vengeance was decreased at my level, and the mana cost of Harvester of Souls was decreased. They are both two cards 
that I enjoyed messing around with, but just didn't have the levels to really play them well. Uh, I got the last copy in my end of the month chest for Harvester of Souls that bumped it up to level three. So the strength went up and the mana cost went down when the patch hit and that made me want to play with it a little bit. So uh, if I'm a casual player of Stormbound and I would like to know what the latest patch information is, where would you recommend that I go? I would recommend that you go to Stormbound Kitty at stormbound-kitty.com. They have a fantastic website. She has a fantastic website that has the latest news as well as the smoothest interface you will find on the World Wide Web. It is a fantastic website, is it not? I mean, just like like let's step aside for a minute from our podcast to just give the the adequate probably not even the 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 earned or appropriate level of gratitude and homage to kitty for creating this website it is a fantastic resource for anyone interested in stormbound it is a beautiful design it is remarkably well executed and it's an excellent resource and and so while i'm there right now i just happened to click on uh some of the latest news which is there was an update on september 1st uh 12 different cards were buffed i'll I'll read through them real quickly and then we can discuss a couple emerald towers blade storm flooding the gates unhealthy hysteria hunter's vengeance crazy bombers harvester of souls terrific slayers dangerous suitors that's just the neutrals from there, Ironclad also saw Unstable build and Fortification Tonic, and then Winter saw Underground Spring. Now, now, Sabaiku, if I just read those card names off and, and don't really pay attention to what the buffs are or anything, what comes to mind is these are all controlling tools, or almost all of them are controlling tools, right? We're talking AoE, we're talking slower, more value-oriented game cards. Am I wrong? Exactly. You are 100% correct. We're talking uh, board clears, and we're talking buff, and we're talking value generation. Mm. And it's great to see that these are the cards getting changed because the game lends itself to rewarding aggressive decks. That's been our strategy from day one. That's been uh, our mindset that if we attack, 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 we can overcome level disparities in the cards and in base health. Uh, That was only re enforced in platinum and below when the sheepyard pet decrease or cap the base levels mm. now base base health 17 instead of base health 19 really does reward you for playing a deck that goes all in on damage because you just don't have to do as much it's easier you know it's interesting you pointed that out. i wouldn't have thought about it in that way uh when they reduce the base health but now that you mention it i do see that as um lending itself to incentivizing playing rush right was well, like well you know before you would you know, the, your average base health you'd have to face in, let's say, Platinum was, I'm going to make up a number here. This is not necessarily indicative of anybody's experience, but let's say it was 18 and a half. And at 18 and a half, boy, you know, you've got to find a lot of damage for 18 and a half. And now suddenly at Platinum, it's 17. Well, that's a point and a half less. Suddenly your budget for rushers can be lower, which means your mana cost for rushers could be lower. So you could, say, drop Salty uh for lime limbs for example or salty for warfront runners you could speed your deck up and make it more rushy 
just because on average, or not even on average, in actuality, you're never going to see higher than a 17 base health. So your deck just doesn't have to deal as much damage anymore. And so yeah, now that you mentioned it, I do see that. It does incentivize Rush. So the fact that they are changing control tools means they recognize that there's an imbalance and they are trying to correct it. And is that enough? I don't I don't know. It's still pretty early on and I've been messing around with it and it certainly seems to be effective. I don't know if it's white as much as they wanted. I don't have access to a lot of data. My experience is anecdotal. So as we uh, as we play out the rest of the month, we'll have to see, do you run into more control decks? Do they give you more problems than they used to? Well, is it worth I, trying to build and play one? I will say that the unhealthy hysteria, I don't know if you want to call it a buff or a nerf or a berf. Uh, because while it does impact units of a higher health at each level, which I love, it also now costs three instead of two. Um, so for example, playing it in Reckless Rush's deck, I'm not 100% sure that it's necessarily as good of a fit now at three men as it used to be. However, playing it in the Brawl this past uh, week, holy smokes, was it fantastic. There were, I mean, it was a target-rich environment, right? We're talking a whole bunch of six and seven health. De definitely an option optimal use case for the card. But I think even at three mana, because they increased the strength that it can target, it, you still get terrific value for your mana. Oh, I'm, I'm not think, not doubting I'm not doubting the value for sure. I think it's still sure. worth it even in an aggressive deck. Okay. Yeah, I, I will say that because the brawl itself was specifically a buff to all the cards being played, it accentuated the, the let's call it a buff to uh, Unhealthy Hysteria. If everyone was just playing uh, rats because that's what the brawl was, but there was no health benefit to it, it may not have appeared to be such a stronger card than it used to be. But now being able to target, for me, seven health, and everybody's playing seven zeros and six zeros, boy, it, it, it felt uh, fantastic. I do think I'm going to try to fit it into my Shadowfen deck this month just because of how strong a unit it can now target it's worth at least testing and seeing if it's not uh, a better include than say faithless profits for me i'm gonna test it i don't know if it's true or not i think that i think that's reasonable the advantage that you have playing unhealthy hysteria in a shadow fen deck is that oftentimes playing against shadow fen people will not stagger their unit because they're worried about witches they're worried about toxic sacrifice so they try to line them up in a way that really benefits unhealthy hysteria instead so being able to run witches and hysteria gives you a lot of flexibility as long as you can cycle into it and it's there when you need it oh for sure yeah it, it, the the appropriate way to play around witches is to play into hysteria I, I think that's fairly true unless you're talking you know trying to put on columns one and four as you know wide and far apart as possible which is really not all that efficient of a way of trying to attack a deck so um, I do think that I'll find some some very nice, you know, two units in a row kind of situations for Hysteria if I can cycle it correctly. So what other what other cards in here? You were mentioning you were playing a couple. Hunter's Vengeance and Harvester of Souls. Um, let's talk about those buffs. So Hunter's Vengeance used to, at my level, cost three mana. Now it costs two. At level four and five, it always costs two mana. And I think that made it playable at higher levels. But at lower levels, doing less damage 
advantage and requiring more mana just was not a reasonable compromise. So I'm glad to see that they lowered the mana cost. They made it flat the whole way through. And it deals more damage uh, at levels 4 and 5. So it's uh, just a stronger control tool. It targets multiple unit type, which is always interesting because uh, it, it requires a little more thought than something like Bladestorm, which doesn't hit all the units on the board. But what do you think? Is it difficult, do you think, to find good boards for Hunter's Vengeance? Like, in my mind, oh, I'm just... absolutely not. If yeah. It hits, if it hits two units, you're happy. Cause, cause... Val- value for mana, if it hits two units, then it's done great. If you're playing against a Swarm Rush deck, they have Undead and uh, Satyrs. You just kill a couple of them. It's enough to make it worth including at that point. But see, that's the thing I was getting at, was no deck plays just Undead and Satyrs. All of them also play Green Pro prototypes and gifted recruits so you're always kind of guaranteed you know within a deck not necessarily on the board but your opponent's deck is always going to have three maybe four or more unit types so it just feels like hunter's vengeance is not a big gamble where it comes down where it becomes a gamble is because it can target your own units also so maybe you have to win a coin flip does it hit my opponent's gifted recruits or my gifted recruits but you can oftentimes get around that simply by playing it as the first card you play that turn good point and then playing the rest of your units from hand so they are not damaged by the aoe and then hey look at that your units are stronger right uh lest anyone forget on your turn your front is defined at the beginning of the turn if at that point you play hunter's vengeance and destroy your own units uh, let's say you destroy all your own units your front doesn't move it stays exactly where it was so you still have the luxury of playing all the rest of your cards wherever you feel like it's not like on your opponent's turn if your forwardmost unit gets destroyed your front drops back that won't happen on your own turn. So you can always play Hunter's Vengeance at the start of your turn, and then voila, you still have that front to play everything you want. Now, the one card that I wanted to talk about that you barely mentioned is Terrific Slayer. Oh. Which was one, two, three, four, five strength is what it used to be at four mana and two movement. Now it's four mana, two movement, two, three, four, five, six strength. It has an upside when it attacks into a dragon. It's Warfront Runners Plus. It has an upside. And if you'd never trigger that upside, it's just Warfront Runners. And Warfront Runners is a card that sees a lot of play. So that's fair. And now that that's the case, I think, you know, it's effectively a little bit of power creep, right? Like it's Warfront Runners plus. And in, within that regards, yes, it should see play over Warfront Runners. If you have both at the same levels, you should always play Terrific Slayers over Warfront Runners just because sometimes you might run into a dragon. However, in general, I really, really dislike hate cards. And so as Terrific Slayers was before, it was a penalty for taking that card versus Warfront Runners. And that penalty... You pay the price for having a tech card in your deck. It was only useful in certain situations, and when those situations were triggered, it is exponentially better than a replacement level card, in this case, Warfront Runners and Neutral, that most people have a lot of copies of. Yes, but 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 what I'm... But now, you are not penalized for playing Terrific Slayers. Instead, it goes the other way. Now, you are penalized for playing a dragon, because more people are going to just run this card because it's there correct so the penalty for running it so more people are going to run it the problem i have with hate cards is that they tend to cause large tempo swings when played either direction 
right? So in this case, it's not going to cause a bad tempo swing anymore because you could have played Warfront Runners and presumably your Warfront Runners are at the same level. So the fact that you played Terrific Slayers instead is irrelevant now. But the way it used to be is you would play your Terrific Slayers uh, because, you know, you need to cycle out of hand or whatever. And if your opponent didn't have a dragon on the board, it felt bad. And in fact, let's be honest, um, you know, unless you're in a really unlucky patch, I'm going to say 60 to 70% of your opponents on any given day don't run dragons. And so for those 60 or 70 opponents, 70% of opponents, it just feels bad playing it because it's a worse Warfront runner at the time. And it only becomes better when your opponent plays a specific card that this is meant to hate. So when you are playing a dragon deck and your opponent drops a terrific slayer, it feels even worse for you because you know that that guy has been sitting with this useless card in hand all day long playing and never finding, you know, 70% of his games doesn't find a good target for this thing. And it's just junk. But you happen to be one of the lucky dudes to draw the lottery and you're queued up into the one guy playing terrific slayers and he happens to be queued up against you who happen to be playing dragons and ergo he's going to win that game because he tr derives immense value because that's what the hate card is meant to do is to punish people from playing cards that the game developers chose to print if you chose to print dragons don't punish me for playing dragons like you know, I just, I don't know. I, I don't particularly care for these style of cards because they disincentivize people from wanting to play the cards that the game developers chose to make. Right. All, all it does is punish you for building your deck in a way that you like. All it does is narrow the design space so that more people are playing the same cards and you get less variety, which makes the game feel stale. That That's how every match ends up feeling the same. Like, I understand that maybe the dragons got out of hand. Maybe the dragons were made to be too powerful. But I don't believe the solution to that is to print a card that either loses you games because it's not a strong enough card in 60-70% of your matches and then blows away your opponent in the other 30 because that's how swingy of a card it is. And, and Terrific Slayers, not for nothing, is an incredibly swingy card. Absolutely. It's definitely not my choice for... Um, it is definitely not the way that I would have tried to solve this problem. And I will 100% throw a caveat that neither of us are game designers. We're just longtime game players, but we can both see the way that this goes is more people run Terrific Slayers, fewer people play dragons now every deck you play is going to be three prototypes at one and gifted recruits at two and westwind sailors at three and terrific slayers at four and that makes the games less interesting right if you were going to run warfront runners you should be running terrific slayers now which means the percentage of people playing terrific slayers is going from one percent <laughs> to uh i don't know take a guess 20 percent, and that might be high but whatever it is it's going to go significantly higher for the vast majority of us we're not going to notice that difference for the people who chose to play dragon decks because that's what they like and not for nothing paladin printed the dragon cards those people are now going to have Hold a worse them 
poor, poor money. So now the money that you paid for those dragon cards, not exactly something you're getting back, even though they were indirectly nerfed by this chain. Right. It's just going to feel worse playing your favorite deck now. All the time, money, whatever you've invested in it is going to feel worse because every time you see a Warfront Runners now, it's actually a terrific Slayers and it's going to punish you for choosing to play the cards you love. And I just don't like that. Like, like, look, uh, um, Feldflares is a perfect example of a good design. Yes, towers can be problematic. You know, units sometimes struggle to find the path to kill a tower. Fellflares solves a lot of that. Sometimes it adds a bit of randomness and you're not sure if it's going to hit the tower or not. But that's a good card. It is useful with towers. It is useful without towers. It's just a good card overall. I think that design is very good. Um, Beasts of Terror, I think, is a well-designed card. It doesn't hate against any specific faction. Yes, it is extremely useful against Toad Spam, but that's only because Toad Spam puts so many freaking Toads on the board. It's also very useful against Seder-specific form decks, for example. Like it, It's good against anybody running a team that gives you a fighting chance when you are otherwise outclassed, and that's fine. Right, but... It's, but... it's at least designed in an interesting way and not a narrow way, like, for example, only targeting dragons. Exactly, or only targeting constructs. Like, how bad of a deck or card would Beasts of Terrors be if on play it dealt, you know, two, three, four, five, six damage to all enemy constructs? Against so many decks, that's useless. And then against that one ironclad dude you run into, you're just like, ha, I finally got the key card to beat you. I've been playing. But ironclad is 50% of my matchups, at least. (laughs) And I would be thrilled with that card right now. Okay. Rust of terror. okay, maybe a bad example, but you get my point. You know, against everybody else, you're playing with 11 cards, not 12. But, and this is going back to our original point, with this change to Terrific Slayers, now you're back to playing with 12 cards, and also you have an advantage against dragons. And that's why it's inappropriate. There's no longer a penalty associated for playing this card at this mana cost. It's only upside. There's no negative. Yeah, no which... Drawback. Which I don't like at all because, like we said, it's just going to mean that everyone should be playing this instead of Warfront, and that just penalizes the people playing dragons. Granted, there's a lot of people out there who are frustrated playing against dragon after dragon after dragon in, you know, let's say gold or platinum. You don't see them so much in in diamond, but there's definitely a, a section of the ladder where dragons are extremely meta, and for them this will feel great. But for all the people who play dragons, because that's what they like, I mean, heaven yeah, forbid they, Br- Brian Kibler well, now, ever joins. Now dangerous suitors cost six out of seven, so the people who play dragons got a buff. Uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, now that we have gotten through our news section, uh, one of the sections that we want to introduce that we're going to try to do each week is called our Deck of the Week. We will share a link, again, from Stormbound Kitty because it's the greatest website ever. Uh, We will share a link in our show notes uh, that you'll be able to find, you know, whenever you look at your show notes in Apple Podcast or wherever. And that will be a link to the deck built. This week, the deck submission comes from MK. It's a a beautiful deck. Uh, It is a pure value ironclad deck that takes advantage of two of the buffs. The two buffs that it takes advantage of are that unstable build 
is buffed uh, one strength across the board. So it used to be uh, levels one through five, four, five, six, seven, eight. It is now five, six, seven, eight, and nine, which is fantastic. And then fortification tonic, which used to call three, pardon me, it used to cost three, now costs two mana at every level and still grants a two, three, four, five, six. Similar to what we talked about with Hunter's Vengeance, there used to be a transition point for the mana cost from three to two, now a two across the board. Uh, so actually at level five, it buffs even more than it used to. Actually at level four and five, pardon me, it buffs more than it used to, which is pretty phenomenal. So MKM's deck, uh, just to read through it real quickly, is... Your green protos, Summon Militia, Destructobots, Dr. Mia, Fortification Tonic, Gifted Recruits, Ozone Purifiers, Unstable Build, Link Golems, Upgrade Portal, uh, Finite Loopers, and lastly, Debug Loggers. You'll notice if you get to look at it or if you're paying very close attention, I didn't mention a single runner. Uh, there's no runners in this deck. It is a pure value play designed to just buff the absolute snot out of your units to the point where there's too many of them, they're too big, and your opponent simply has to concede because of the sheer value on the board. This deck really takes advantage of the ironclad buff mechanic, which is specific to units that are surrounding other units. So link golems, debug loggers, upgrade point, it's all, all of these buffs are specific to other units in its geography, and some of it specific to constructs only. That makes the deck fun to play, and it makes the deck fun to play against because you can try to line up your unit in such a way that your opponent can't take advantage of the uh, proximity buff. Yeah, not for nothing. If you're playing against Ironclad and your opponent opens with a construct, let's say, you know, Destructobots, you should highly consider if you have, let's say, Saberpaw's Green Protos or Saberpaw's Gifted Recruits, you should highly consider setting both of those units up so that they either, if your levels are good enough, clear the Destructo Bots, but if they don't, setting them up so that one will be on either side of the Destructo at the start of their next turn, which means the only place they could put the linked golems would be right behind the Destructo. And when that happens, the linked golems don't get to clear either of your units. They so you get to clear and they don't get to advance the front. And that's really the only way that you can outrush this kind of deck. Right. The, 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 the clear winning opener for Ironclad in those style decks is they open with a construct and then on two, they play linked golems to one side of the construct or the other such that the linked golems buffs both sides and attacks a unit. So you get just insane value. You clear off, you play defensively or potentially offensively if there's no unit to clear the link golem simply step forward which moves your front those kinds of openers are so good for the ironclad player uh, they allow them to snowball but if you can bookend that original construct such that on their second turn they can't play the linked golems or they can only play it behind where it doesn't trade and doesn't move oh you are in very good shape uh, so just a little pro tip there for a fun way of trying to prevent the early snowball when playing against Ironclad. Uh, this deck would probably love to have that kind of an opener, just looking at it. It is an extraordinarily fast deck. There are two cards that cost more than three, the uh, Finite Loopers and the the uh, Debug Loggers. Everything else is three or less, and holy smokes, it's fire. And that's the point that I was going to make. 
out this deck. It is fast. It is going to play three or four cards a turn very early on in the game. And your ability to clear everything is going to be very limited. And if this deck will punish you for not clearing everything. Oh, for sure. Anything that stays up is a buff target effectively, right? Anything that stays up is going to get out of control very quick. Yeah. I like I this deck. To, I would love to play this deck. If I had Dr. Mia, I would be running it right now. I am actually thinking about, uh, so I'm one Mia short of level three, and, and that's a critical point for Mia because she goes from uh, bordering to surrounding. Mm, so I'm one, I'm one Mia short of level one, <laughs> but someday I'll get there. Uh, so I might actually spend the fusion stones to upgrade Mia to three and try this deck out this week just to see uh, how I feel about it, because this looks like a ton of fun. Uh, I'm nervous about playing a deck that runs no runners, but uh, if I was ever going to this is the kind of deck i would try to play so now, i would like to point out this is a little bit of an expensive deck mm -hmm. dr mia is the only legendary but debug loggers upgrade point link golems are all purple fortification tonic destructor boss are both rares and are really pretty critical for this deck like we talked about earlier if you're destructo bot on your opening turn do not stick you can't snowball and if you can't snowball your chances of winning the game are great diminished yeah one of the things that i have found out playing these style decks is that when trying to get value out of something like link golems if i don't have a unit on the board i need to play a unit that's going to win a trade and stick on the board right so like th there's where i run into a pretty big problem you know my opponent has cleared my board is pushing their front onto my doorstep so now any unit I play first is going to trade into something and, you know, not stick around. Well, not for nothing. That first unit, like let's say it's Destructo, if my Destructo can't clear a, a unit and be on board, then the linked golems afterwards is three mana, two strength, which is god awful. It's just, just abysmal. Bad. And what you're really looking for in this deck is really being able to play multiple units a turn to try to reduce the probability of that happening. Very true. Very true. And, and not for nothing, you should be able to. I mean, if you can't play three units on turn six, something's wrong. You can often play two units on your opening turn with three mana. Sure. If you're lucky, maybe you open instead with on four mana with green prototypes into link golems and just start winning right off the bat. Sure. Also remember to play your Destructo bots first if you have the choice. <laughs> so... Uh, next question. Uh, this is now Sheepyard's second patch since taking over the game. The first one was in July, late July. So it's been about six-ish weeks uh, between the two. How do you feel? How is this working? Like the last one, if you recall, they changed the economy. They changed the quests and rewards. Uh, and they also changed some of the cards. Uh, they, they nerfed some winter cards. A lot of the elders and a lot of the mana gain. Although the change to Gift of the Wise was later mm -hmm. like, slightly reverted. The mana cost was still increased, but the amount of mana you gain was adjusted to make up for that. Making Aaron even better. I think that was wholly appropriate, though. Fair enough. But it, but uh, in, in general, terms of, in general, the frequency of the update is encouraging. I think I interpret this as they inherited a game that had been stagnant for a little while. They are not afraid to make changes and collect 
collect the data and see what happens from that. Mm -hmm. I think that I think that's the right approach. It means that they're not going into it thinking this is what we need to do. They're going into it with let's try this, let's try that. All of the changes they're making are relatively small, with the exception of killing winter pack. <laughs> Murdering. All right. Well, let me ask you this. We, we often, and we've done a very good job, by the way, pat on your back, pat on my back for not talking about Hearthstone too much this episode. Uh, but I'm going to bring in a Hearthstone metaphor here. There was this fabled, let's, let's dream of a uh, meta called the control meta where suddenly everybody would be playing all these skill-intensive decks, and whoever won would always win, not because of luck, but because they outplayed their opponent in these control-versus-control games. Uh, anytime I played a control-v-control matchup in THL, I can tell you they went over an hour for a best-of-five. You know, they'd be like an hour and a half long. <laughs> Just tedious grinds of matches. Um, they were certainly fun. Um, but have you been playing Stormbound thinking these games are too fast? I wish the meta was more controlling. I have not. And I will admit up front that I prefer to play more aggressive, more rush, more tempo oriented deck. I think that if the game goes on past the nine mana turn, it's probably gone on too long. And that's my bias going into this. But no, I like the fact that the games are pretty short. I can wrap up a game and read a five minutes and be satisfied with it, win or lose, as opposed to, all right, I'm going to have to buckle down and try to make my way through this 20 minute grind. I mean, I recall. That's not, that's not what I'm looking for out of a mobile game. I recall uh, Control Priest v. Control Priest matchups taking 20 to 25 minutes on ladder. Like that, that was a, that was an experience I really had playing Hearthstone, like almost half hour long games. Multiple times. Oh, Multiple times. I mean, but... it, it just, it killed your whole night. You would try to get up a rank. You would try to gain four or five stars. And that whole process would take like six hours because not because your win rate was bad. You could win every game you played. It's just every game took 45 minutes. That being said, I would love to be able able to play a more controlling style that you so that one of the differences between you and I in terms of our favorite play styles I was always a bit more of a greedy control style player certainly in, in deck crafting I've always been a bit too greedy in in building my decks uh, and I would say that you tend to be a little bit more tempo focused and, and and so for me I'm a little excited to see how these cards come about the problem that I have is I feel like a lot of these cards are cards that benefit more from levels so they're making cards stronger that will impact disproportionately the people who already have these cards at an extremely high level now maybe i'm misreading some of it for example maybe hysteria is actually not bad for a level two or level three hysteria owner now because i mean after all it does five or six damage or well you know it, it impacts a five or six health unit so maybe i'm not giving credit where credit is due and this is and these buffs are in fact useful at lower levels but i just feel like a lot I of think, them I, I think it's a case by case sort of thing so mm. so unhealthy hysteria now at that card level will impact most of the common cards that you see 
from your opponent. Yeah, I think in that's theory, true. If you have Hysteria at level two, you're probably playing in gold and most of your cards are level two. If you are playing in diamond and Hysteria is level two, you probably shouldn't be running even after these changes. <laughs> Fair enough. But you definitely weren't running it before, so it's not a big deal for you to not include it now. On the other hand, something like the change to Bladestorm, I look at that and I do get worried as somebody who regularly faces decks with all level five cards. My level four green prototypes, my four strength wild safer paws, these are now units that would have survived Bladestorm before and will not now. So the board sphere has become much more effective and that really could influence my win-loss rate against control deck. They were using it before as damage reduction. Now it's actually an effective board. I mean, so... And it and it's entirely driven by the level disparity. Right. So if I get rid of the level has, uh, disparity, uh, Bladestorm now at, at, at level 5 deals 4 damage. A and level if I have all level 5 units, they're Mo all 5 strength, so it's fine. Right, exactly. That's what I was going to say. So they clear off all but all but one health from green protos, from gifted recruits. Um, you know, your Westwind Sailors survive with two health, I believe. Your Lawless Herds. There's a lot of things still maintain a decent amount. The problem is, by buffing it this way, it increases level disparity issues. Not... It doesn't necessarily mean that like Bladestorm itself has become so much more powerful against units at the same level, but level disparities have been exacerbated by this. I agree with that. It's just a little bit tougher to punch up. And and you know what? Time will tell whether or not it's really that big of a problem. Certainly, you know, my saber paws, my green protos, my gifted recruits. There's a lot of gosh in the uh, uh, in in my version of Reckless's deck, barely anything survives. Neither of my doppelbox survive. Like, everything's dead. Sometimes you get lucky and your opponent has a level 3 blade storm instead. <laughs> I'm probably winning that game anyway. But yes, I agree. It does happen. In general, I feel like Emerald Towers being buffed is a meh. I feel like um, Harvester of Souls um, will increase play rate for the card, which is great. Uh, Underground Springs, again, I think is, I mean, I don't want to call it underwhelming, but it's certainly not overwhelming. Um, it's really the AoEs, and I include Hysteria in that, because it is technically an AoE. It can be used to clear two units. So I'm talking, you know, Bladestorm, Unhealthy Hysteria, Hunter's Vengeance, even Crazy Bombers feels... Um, more powerful now because it can happen earlier yes it doesn't deal as much damage but it still deals more than enough damage uh to be impactful especially when it can be played a turn earlier so to me a lot of the control tools the aoe style control tools in the game have been buffed i don't know if it's enough to actually see the fabled control meta but if it does i'll start playing around with it i'll, I'll give it a shot before i say oh this is terrible i'd at least like to try playing some control style decks at you know mostly level threes and fours and see what happens yeah i i do like the fact that they were small changes they boost the aoes but not make everything crazy it's not like it's not like crazy bombers now cost four mana and does the same amount of damage right it's just a minor change to make it a little more viable so it doesn't get out of control which is a good way to approach it and an encouraging way when you're a player looking on the outside looking in you see this sort of minor change as an incentive 
try it, but not as a, oh gosh, I have to do it. These cards I never leveled up. Now I have to level them up. Right. All right. And with that, I think we're about ready to wrap uh, episode two up. This has been fantastic. I am so excited. On a side note, I'm incredibly appreciative of Sheepyard for giving us all this extra content to talk about this week. This has been awesome. I think that uh, everyone who's uh, uh, starting to subscribe to the uh, podcast, thank you so much. We will continue to try to give you a weekly podcast. So look for uh, episode number three coming next week, uh, give or take around Wednesday-ish. Subaiku, uh, if anyone wants to ask us any questions or give us any comments, where should they go? Right now, you can email Email us at broodsages at gmail.com. We'd be happy to take your questions there. You know, always find Freeloader on the official Stormbound Discord or on Twitter at FreeloaderSB. Uh, I would point out that you are also in the uh, official Discord. You're just not as active as I am. But that's about it for us for this week. We'd like to say thank you very much. And uh, please, if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and subscribe. We'll try to keep this to be about a 45 to 50 minute uh, show each week. And if you can find time during your week to listen to that we would greatly appreciate it any and all comments please uh, push it forward and for uh, Sabaiko I am Freeloader and we'd like to say thank you very much and have a good one guys